This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham here in London. Great to see you live in the studio for a change, Craig. Yeah, I think this is, what, the second time we've recorded in the studio now in the last two and a half years? It feels like quite a momentous occasion when we do. Maybe it's a trend. We, we can only hope. We yeah. can only hope. World shares are up today. Bond yields also up after US data showed inflation had slowed down less than expected last month. And that certainly cemented expectations of aggressive rate hikes by the Federal Reserve. So why are shares up despite that news? So ultimately, what this comes down to is that we've now gone the last six months or so seeing inflation accelerating much faster than people anticipated or much faster than most people anticipated, most notably uh, the central banks. And now we're reaching the point when we were expecting to see a massive deceleration in the inflation data because of certain base effects. So they're comparable with uh, last year. And so the peak was meant to happen in March, and it looks as though that's the case. But the deceleration wasn't as uh, as much as markets were expecting. And that's where the disappointment comes in, because all of a sudden now you're looking at the data and you're saying, OK, so the base effects have had this much of an impact. But are we seeing more inflation, therefore, in other areas that we should be more concerned about? Is the overall deceleration pace now between now and the summer going to be lesser than expected and ultimately what does that mean well that means that the central banks have a much bigger job on their hands again and we're talking about central banks which have already started raising rates quite aggressively to the point that the bank of england now is saying we are raising rates we're going to keep raising rates because we have to deal with this inflation problem the inflation is going to go above 10 percent this year and we're going to have to keep raising rates and we think we're going to cause a recession in doing so but we have to do this and the federal reserve until this point has said we are going to keep raising rates we're doing so very aggressively half a base half a percentage point at the last meeting probably half a percentage point at the next meeting maybe a half a percentage point again at the meeting after that which is very uh, unusual. I mean, we haven't seen half a percentage point in more than 20 years prior to this month. And they're saying we're doing all of this. And yet they may have to do more again because inflation is staying stubbornly high. So the Fed is saying that they think they can manufacture a soft landing, so avoid a recession. There's a lot of doubt about whether they can actually manage that because of the scale of the job at hand. And now we're seeing signs in this inflation data that it's not coming down as fast as hoped. Obviously, this is one piece of data, and at least it's heading in the right direction. It is pulled back from, the, from, that, from that peak. But if we see this trend over the next couple of months now, where we are seeing a deceleration, but much less than we hoped and thought, then the Fed has a much bigger job on its hand. Maybe other central banks do too. And it just increases the prospects then of a recession, which is what's really dragged on the markets recently. And meanwhile, we've had some comments from Christine Lagarde about more than likely July rate hike from the ECB. Do we take those comments as read now or is there still some time? No, I think we have to expect that this is the plan now for the ECB. And the reason is they have until this point been very intentionally ambiguous in everything they say. So, for example, at the last meeting, the words from Christine Lagarde were that they will or they intend to end their net asset purchases in the third quarter, which could be the beginning or the end of the third quarter. And they will then start raising rates sometime after the end of asset purchase, sometime which could mean anything from a few weeks to many, many months. 
So they really gave us nothing, ultimately, at that last meeting. And in recent weeks, we've heard various policymakers, most, m- mostly from the more hawkish central banks, but even now from a few others as well, suggesting that inflation is much higher than they anticipated. Sounds familiar. And that earlier rate hikes should be discussed and may be necessary. The fact that Christine Lagarde has quite subtly nodded to July as being the possible liftoff point, I think markets have basically now taken as this is the strong hint they've been waiting for. Don't get me wrong, markets have been ahead of the game. They've been ahead of the game for the last 12 months, really, in terms of where central banks have been. But the markets had already priced in a rate hike in July. They'd priced in another as well for the following meeting also, and maybe a third this year, which would take the ECB back into positive territory for the first time in many, many years. And... The fact that Christine Lagarde has confirmed it is is really just seen now as a sign that July is the liftoff point and after that it depends on how aggressive the inflation data is going to become. But clearly Europe has a situation which is very different from the UK and the US. They're not seeing the same levels of kind of wage growth and labour market tightness and things like that. This kind of negative feedback loop to some extent but they're still seeing extremely high uncomfortable levels of inflation. Some of it still domestically driven which the central bank needs to get to grips with because it just makes no sense to be buying billions of euros or dollars or pounds of bonds net every single month having interest rates at minus 0.5% when inflation is above 7% and your target is 2 And it seems like the ECB has finally come around to the idea that they need to do something even if it means the economy is going to slow down and even with the risk of what's happening in Ukraine on, on its doorstep. Going back to the US figures, maybe a silly question, but inflation, if it's peaked, why do they have to continue to aggressively raise rates? Because they don't want inflation to stay at 8%, ultimately. Inflation has peaked, I think it was around 8.5% in the US. The UK, like say, it could be above 10% if the Bank of England's to be believed. In the euro area, I think it's above around 7.5% at this point. If inflation has peaked at these levels and the central banks will do nothing, then they are still in an extremely accommodative stance, uh, which means they are at the point where their policies are are trying are re-energizing the economy, stimulating growth, um, and therefore it's likely to lead to more inflationary pressures. They need to get back to more of a neutral stance at the very least in order to maintain inflation around those levels, maybe even a more tightening stance in order to try and rein in inflation, which tends to come then with uh, lower economic growth and the potential for recessions, which is where we're heading now. If, if, if these central banks decide to stand pat and say, right, we've peaked, let's see what happens, there's a lot more chance of inflation rising beyond that peak, or at least staying around eight percent than there is of inflation gradually moving back towards target and as we know it's all well and good saying well these central banks are now causing more pain for households and businesses by raising interest rates but that's nowhere near as painful as eight ten twelve fifteen percent inflation which ultimately if that started to happen we'd need even more rate hikes again so you'd get this double whammy of high inflation and high interest rates particularly if you look at the latest uh, oil numbers craig up again today Brent and WTI both around 5%. So that could go further anyway. At the moment, it's steady-ish, but we're looking at uh, increasing oil price, which will lead to higher inflation, uh, no doubt. And that's part of what's 
driving the Bank of England's forecasts is this the fact that we've just seen a massive energy price spike in April and another one is going to be likely when the cap lifts again later this year. That's going to contribute to inflation moving above 10%. And while energy prices have relatively stabilised, oil prices have stabilised under this kind of $100 to $120 a barrel region recently, and it actually came slightly below earlier this week, and that's what we're really rebounding from today, and even they're up 5%, but really at the lower end of the range they've been at. Natural gas prices have been very volatile today. Um, because of one of the two key terminals ultimately that natural gas from Russia passes through on in eastern Ukraine which ultimately then goes to Europe one of the two um, Ukraine has effectively shut down uh, and asked uh, Gazprom to divert flows to the other terminal uh, because the first terminal is in an occupied territory now which has the creates the the risk and threat of uh, of uh, issues uh, as far as that's concerned but again that's another thing that threatens gas flows to Europe it's something that caused a spike in the gas price in Europe earlier on today it's paired those back for a couple of reasons, I think it's paired those back because Europe's got more supply of uh, liquefied natural gas now, LNG, uh, and also we're in this kind of warmer spring period, so the less it's not like we're in the midst of a cold winter where there's strong demand for gas. Um, so I think that's helped to alleviate some of those pressures and concerns right now as well. But it just goes to show how volatile these energy markets can still be, and how we are still at the mercy of good. Uh, economic decision making at a time when that's not always going to be the case, especially not in the midst of war. One other story I wanted to ask you about, and that was uh, Bitcoin, which uh, perhaps surprisingly has held its own today, despite problems for the stable coin terror. Can you tell us a bit about that? So, I mean, Bitcoin itself has been on, under a lot of pressure now for many months. It's been a terrible six months, ultimately, for Bitcoin. It's fallen from the highs at the kind of high 60s, 60, close to $70,000, and it's fallen back towards around $30,000. $30,000 has been a massive level of support, really, for the last year or so. And uh, we've seen it test on a number, number of occasions, but each time it's held. And I think one of the things that makes that such an important support level is the fact that when Bitcoin broke above um, $20,000 all that time ago, a couple of years ago, it took, I think it was 17 days for it to hit $30,000. And it's not really looked back since. We've barely traded below $30,000 $30, and never for longer than a few hours since that. So it's only really spent 17 days in its entire history between twenty dollars and $30,000. So when you're looking at it from a charting perspective, there really isn't much support there. So there is this kind of view that if Bitcoin breaks 30, the chances are it could easily fall back to 20, which is another another huge drop. So people are paying a lot of attention to that $30,000 level uh, as far as Bitcoin is concerned. What's interesting today is, like you say, that peg, the kind of algorithmic stable coin terror pegged dollar. Uh, and as we've seen with other stable cars, coins, they tend to stay around that dollar level for different reasons. The algorithmic is uh, held around those in a different way than, than other stable coins are, which are backed with dollar or dollar equivalent like treasuries in an actual uh, bank account. That's not the case, I don't believe, uh, as far as Terra is concerned. And it's fallen at one point almost 60% today uh, because, uh, and that deep had an impact on one or two other cryptocurrencies, uh, which are heavily linked uh, to uh, to that particular stablecoin. But what's interesting is that it's not had an impact on the wider market at this point in time. You would have thought that that could have potentially caused a massive sentiment knock uh, in the space and that could have had a, a deeper impact on the market, at least as a knee-jerk reaction. But we haven't seen that at all. Bitcoin was actually a little bit higher 
earlier on today. It's about flat now. Don't get me wrong. Who knows what's to come? Who knows if it might start to have more of a hit if this situation isn't resolved? Obviously, they're working on a kind of a recovery fund, I think, at this point in time to try and stabilise the currency once more. And maybe if that doesn't happen, then we may see more of a knock-on effect. But it was interesting that there was no knee-jerk reaction because you would expect in, in, in this space that that could at least be the case. And what would have made that so important is the fact that it would have happened as Bitcoin is testing $30,000. So you could have had the double whammy of, an event like that creating a little bit of even temporary instability in the space knocking bitcoin below thirty thousand dollars at the worst time which could have had a very profound effect on the value of bitcoin and therefore the cryptocurrencies if we did then see that large fall so it's going to be an interesting one to follow both the terror story but also the bitcoin price movements as well because thirty thousand dollars has been critical uh, over the course of the last year or so and if that breaks i think we could see things become a lot more lively Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us today. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.